Thank you, Kelsey Tolman. Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 14. In your Bibles this evening. And Joshua Harney, that little clicker is out of juice. So uh, I may ask you to advance it like that just a little bit as we go along. Um, Well, college students, you're about ready to head back or head out for the first time. And, uh, you know, Kelsey, as you sang that song, and you did a great job doing it, as you you sang and you ministered to our hearts, um, I'm going to speak to the young people for just a moment, college students and younger. You all have a tremendous opportunity to uh, be a blessing and an encouragement to the body of Christ. You really do. You, you can use who you are, young men, young ladies, whether you're in grade school, elementary school, upwards into high school. You can use your ability, your time, the talents you have to be a blessing to other children of God. Older people, right? And sometimes you might think, I don't, you might think they don't, I can't be a blessing to them. You can. You can really encourage our hearts and challenge us sometimes. And I want to thank many of you who are heading off to college. You sing, you, you work, you labor in the ministry here when you come back, and you're a blessing to us. And uh, I want you to know we love you, and uh, we miss you when you're gone. We're going to pray for you. And uh, so you do well, okay? You go do well. You love the Lord and follow him. Make good friends. Avoid the scorners and the fools, okay? They're out there. They're everywhere. And we love you. We'll be waiting for you when you come home or wherever God leads you, okay? But Kelsey, thank you so much for that. Revelation chapter 14 is where we're at tonight. Um, I spoke, I ran into a guy at Kroger a few weeks ago, and I, I, I guess his church, the church he attends, and I don't know that he attends that often, but so one of you invited him to come and hear this series on Revelation. I've preached on this book now 20 times. Tonight will be the 21st time, so we're making good progress going through, but it's a little bit, been a little bit choppy lately because of guest speakers. I was out of town, you were out of town, you know, different things get in the way. And this particular fellow stopped me at Kroger, and he said, you're the pastor of Trinity. I said, yes. And he said, well, he said, when are you going to get back into the study in Revelation? Because I want to hear the rest of it. And Shai Lin, a week or two ago, said to me, she said, Pastor, when are we going to keep studying Revelations? And, uh, and I said, Shailen, we're going to get to it soon. And uh, so we're getting back to it. Some of you came prepared for it. Like uh, this evening, I was in the foyer and William was standing there with his boot. You know, he's five years old, just turned five. And his stomach was kind of sticking out a little more than normal and something was hanging down. And I reached over and I pulled it out. And he had, he had prepared, he had brought something for the service. Some bubble wrap. You know, the kind you pop. You know, he had, he had packed this, just prepared for preaching tonight. So I don't know how you prepared, but uh, I have never heard of that before. But you know, when you're going to church on a Sunday night, you know, and your daddy's preaching, you need bubble wrap sometime. All right. That's just funny, isn't it? I tell you. Oh, boy. All right. Revelation chapter 14 in our Bibles, we took some time in chapters uh, 12 and 13, and really we identified uh, some different, uh, really seven main characters of the, uh, the tribulation period, really, is what we could say. 
Josh, I'm going to have you forward that just uh, one. Uh, I don't have any pointers, so I, can, I, can, I have two of them, but that, they don't really show up on the screen. But you see there the rapture of Christ, about 32 AD, the resurrection uh, after, or excuse me, the, the death of Christ, the, his burial, his resurrection. Church has started. We studied in chapters 2 and 3 the church age. You remember those seven churches in chapters 2 and 3? Then, of course, there's the rapture. And then, of course, the, we, we call it the seven years of Jacob's trouble. And that's what it's called in the Old Testament. Uh, it's called, uh, we, we identify it as the tribulation period in the New Testament. The first half of the seven-year period, the Antichrist is supporting Israel. The last half of the seven, or, or the, the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to persecute Israel mercilessly. And then, of course, at the end of the seven-year period, the, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, is going to return as King of kings and Lord of lords. And uh, when he does, he's going to return with the name written on his thigh. Uh, he's going to return on a white horse. Uh, you've heard of the, the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, we're in chapter 14 tonight, and uh, it's kind of one of those... Uh, portions of Revelation where uh, Jesus Christ gives John a revelation uh, where he kind of just set, sets, steps back and he's able to see a lot of what's happening, a little bit of an overview. Uh, so it's not really chronological, but he steps back and he just takes a glimpse at the big picture, and we're going to see that a little bit here tonight. Josh, if you could roll it ahead one more. We have looked at the uh, seven sealed judgments. Of course, those took place in the first uh, half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, and then that was followed. We studied the seven trumpet judgments. That brought us to the midway point of the tribulation. And that's where we are right now in our study. Uh, once we get through chapters 14, we get into chapter 15, we're going to be introduced to the seven vile judgments or the bold judgments. And in each one of these series of judgments, things are getting more intense. And remember why God is bringing these judgments upon the earth uh, he's righteous, he's just, that's true. But even in these judgments, we, we can see the mercy of God. And you remember, he's shaking uh, with these judgments and the hardship on earth. He's really shaking Israel loose from their self-dependence. Uh, and, uh, and as we've already studied, there really is a great awakening that happens during the tribulation. And people are saved from every tribe and nation and tongue on the face of the earth. That's exciting to me, okay? That's exciting to me. It's going to be an awful time to live. It really is. It's going to be a terrible time to live. The world's going to be going through uh, really the most horrific, uh, it's most horrific times in world history, and yet God is working through it all. So that brings us here tonight to Revelation chapter 14. And it really is one of the most exciting events and one of the most exciting chapters in the Bible. So let's look at it. Revelation chapter 14. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter all the way through verse number 20. I don't know that we'll make it through there, all of it here this evening, but we'll, we'll uh, probably make it halfway. But we'll read it all just to give you an overview of what's happening. Chapter 14 and verse number 1, the Bible says this. John's writing, it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. 
And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the, the, before the throne and before the four beasts. Uh, th- those four beasts are, uh, what we, the closest we could come to understanding it might be an angelic being or their, creator, their creation of God that brings glory to him and worships him. These are good creatures. Um, and and, he, and uh, so they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. That would be the throne of God and before the four beasts and the elders that are in heaven there around the throne. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now I believe that these 144,000 are the same 144,000 that we, we studied back in chapter 7. You might remember that. They were men, there were 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, they're given the gospel message and they, and they go about with the power of God upon them, preaching the gospel, repentance, and many, many people are being saved during the tribulation period. So that's who I believe we're talking about here. There are, I will tell you this, there are some that believe this is a, an entirely different group of people, but if that were the case, there really would be no background for it at all. So it really seems to fit with the other. Verse number five. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they were without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now did you did you read what did you hear what we just read there? There's an angel in verse number six in the midst of heaven. So not in not in the abode of God, heaven, but in, uh, we might say, where the planes fly, okay? That's uh, another type of heaven, the heavens. And this angel, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them, unto the world that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So not only did the 144,000 preach the gospel, but now we have an angel of God preaching the gospel, To everyone, saying, in verse 7, with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. 
And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. By the way, that's the last time that name of God, the name of Christ, is used in the Bible here in verse 14, Son of Man. John uses it a lot in the Gospel of John. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice, or a loud cry to him that he had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now this is uh, kind of, it's an analogy is, is the, the, what he's using here to, to bring us to an understanding. Uh, winepress, they would take the grapes, they'd put it in the winepress and they would crush the grapes and out would come the juice, which was good. Well this uh, the, the picture is very graphic of a, grime, a wine press and grapes being crushed so that juice flows out. Well, here it's not talking about juice. Notice in verse 20. And the wine press was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the wine press, even under the, horses, the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and 600 furlongs. That's about 176 to 181 miles long. And I don't believe it, it's to the horse's bride, the horse bridles, uh, every square foot or every linear foot of 181 miles, but in places it's going to be that deep. For, uh, for 600, or excuse me, 1,600 furlongs. And that's. Uh, that's about up near Mount Carmel, all the way down to Jordan, past Jerusalem. And uh, that is a reference to the Battle of Armageddon. So in this chapter, there's a lot happening. We're, we're, again, we're kind of taking a step back and we're looking at a bit of an overview of what's happening. And, and we've got all kinds of things happening in this chapter. And uh, we'll look at a little bit here in the time that we have this evening's. Let's pray together, and then I want to ponder this, this chapter together in the next few minutes. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Father, it's been a while since we've been studying, and we've really been uh, taken off track. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring some of the understanding back to us that you've given to us. And Father, I pray that you would teach us tonight. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would, would uh, teach us and instruct us Uh, Make application in our lives, Father. Each one of us, where we are, any receptive heart under the sound of my voice, any humble heart, I pray that you would speak and encourage and challenge and convict. Father, may tonight be a night of great profit because of humble hearts in your grace. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, chapter 14 really stands in stark contrast to chapter 13. You're welcome to peek back at chapter 13 and the previous chapter even, but in chapter 13, really, it's dominated by the rule of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet 
You know, they're requiring people to take the mark of the beast or they can't buy and sell. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't buy food. You can't buy gas or whatever's going to be needed in those days. And so it's really dominated. Uh, Those believing saints are being persecuted by the beast, by the Antichrist, and the the other beast, the false prophet, that spiritual leader, uh, that religious leader who's going to point everybody of the world to worship the Antichrist. And uh, and if you're a believer, you're being persecuted. Um, Many are being put to death. I'm sure it would be next to impossible to have a job and name the name of Christ. You remember how many of the nation of Israel are going to flee into the wilderness and God's going to protect them there. So all of these things are taking place in chapter uh, 13, highlights some of those things. And really chapter 13 describes for us uh, a large part of the tribulation period. And it really is one of the darkest times in human history ever. It's not a pleasant time. It's an awful time to live. But now chapter 14, though, has much of a contrast because where chapter 13 is so dark, chapter 14 has much to say about Jesus Christ defeating the powers of darkness. Now, that's a good thing. Now, I have to say, when I read about the last part of chapter 14 and I read about the Battle of Armageddon, and we'll be studying that later on in our study, Revelation will get... It'll be given to us in more detail. But even when it's alluded to here, and I think about men and women of the earth, uh, human beings who Jesus Christ died for, who God loved enough to send his son to die for their souls, and they're being crushed, and their lives are lost, and their souls are lost for all of eternity. I have to tell you, for me, it's heartbreaking. And it ought to be for you as well. Now, let's jump right into it in in chapter 14, verse number 1. And I'm going to go verse by verse tonight through this passage. Uh, Notice in in, in verse 1 for just a moment. Now, I should say this. uh, uh, From chapter 11, verse 16, all the way through chapter 15, about verse 4, we're in this parenthetical um, uh, time period. We're not going sequentially. We're in a parenthetical. It's kind of step back, looking and seeing what's happening. We're getting this description. So uh, uh, pick it up in verse number one. It says this, and I looked and lo, a lamb. Now the lamb here is Jesus Christ. Okay. He stood on the, on the Mount Zion and with him and 140 and 4,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now the earthly Mount Zion is located at Jerusalem. Okay. But I believe as we read on, and especially in verse number 3, we'll see that this Mount Zion is before the throne of God in heaven, and he's surrounded by the redeemed of the earth. And, and they have written on their foreheads the Lamb's, uh, or the Father's name, the name of God. And this evidently is the seal that was mentioned way back in chapter 7, you might remember. So apparently after fulfilling their ministry of preaching the gospel across the earth, The 144,000, like the two witnesses, may be allowed by God. Maybe God allows the Antichrist to slay them and he takes them to heaven. Or maybe God raptures them a special way, um, as he has done before. The Bible doesn't tell us those things, but uh, regardless of what we understand, it seems very evident that John sees these 144,000 before the throne of God in heaven. Notice verse number 2. 
He says, And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Now, first, John heard a great voice. You see it there, a great voice from heaven. It's described as the voice of many waters. Uh, The voice John heard was overwhelming in its power. Uh, The voice of many waters. Have you ever been to a a great... um, I remember going with my parents and a couple other times to Niagara Falls. It's loud there, if you've ever been there. The waters come rushing over the falls, they're loud. Um, If you go to, if you're out in Pennsylvania, you call it the shore. We all call it the beach. If you go to the beach, and it can't be Lake Huron, for the most part, you got to go to a beach where there's uh, some breakers coming in. It's loud. There's some strength there. It's loud. In fact, you're going to have to start talking up if your friends are going to hear you, right? And, and that's the idea here. John hears this voice, and it has this overwhelming power. And he, descri- he descri- describes the voice as the voice of a great thunder. And thunder, especially when it's close, is awesome. And it has uh, a clap of thunder. I like thunder. How many of you like thunder? Okay, some of you do. Anybody, you don't like it at all? It, well, you don't want to admit it, okay? There might be a couple here. Okay, Pastor Burden will admit it. Uh, I happen to like thunder, but I know some people who don't like thunder if it gets too loud. Uh, but, but, you know, thunder, it can be a bit terrifying at times. It can be, uh, it communicates great strength and power. And that's this voice that we read about in verse number two. Um, and then, really, he says this, uh, the idea is that the great voice heard seems to be the combined voices of 144,000 men singing praises to God. Now, the second thing John hears in verse number two is the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Uh, The word voice there is the Greek word phone. And I just thought you'd enjoy that, so I threw it in tonight. Phone uh, is the Greek word. But isn't that neat? Where do we get? It means sound. And what do we call that? Uh, You don't call yours a phone? I call mine a phone. No, okay, it's a phone. But isn't that neat? We, we got that word from the Greek language. We, we called it, we had nothing else to call it, apparently. We called it a phone. So this voice, the sound of harpers harping with harps. And notice it doesn't say that the 144,000 are all playing harps. Now, they, they, they may be, but it doesn't say that. It could be possible. But apparently there's this great heavenly orchestra accompanying 144,000 men singing as they sing praises to God and to the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ. What an overwhelming song, what an overwhelming sound that would be. Wouldn't that be incredible to hear 144,000 men singing praises to the Lamb of God with an orchestra, with them a bunch of... Uh, uh, this sound, the phone of harpers. All right, verse number three. Verse number th- three, we see this incredible 144,000 voice choir. It says, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. Now notice it's a new song and he's, they're singing it before the throne of God. The beasts, the elders are there. We've, we, a long time ago, we studied there in the throne room of heaven and the uh, the, uh, the green rainbow round about the throne, you remember that? And, and them singing praises, and they're glorifying the Lord. Well, well, here they are, and they're singing around the throne of God, and the audience of this vast choir will be the throne of God, and he who sits on the throne, and the four angelic creatures about the throne, and the 24 elders round about the throne, and they sing, as it were, 
a new song. Uh, no man could learn. And the idea there is no man can understand it. Is it that they can't understand the words that they're saying? Or is it that they can't understand the song that they're singing that only they know because of what they've experienced? Um, no one can understand, no one can learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. And, and so the thought is literally no one can understand the song. It, it may be no one can appreciate what they're singing, or maybe it's that their experience was so unique. Now think about this. These are Jews, 144,000 Jewish men um, that were converted to Christ during the tribulation period. 144,000 Jewish men converted to Christ during the tribulation period who experienced the power of God upon their lives, who were called by God to preach the gospel during one of the darkest times in human history, who experienced the wrath of the Antichrist firsthand, who watched as people died all around them, the world in such turmoil. I mean, none of us here have experienced anything like what these men are going to experience. And they're singing praises to God in ways that no others can. It says that they were redeemed from the earth. Of course, the 144,000 were redeemed like you and I through the blood of the Lamb. But they were also redeemed from the earth to heaven. That is, uh, they were, the word uh, translated from means out of. They were, they were redeemed from out of the earth is the idea. The 144,000 are redeemed at some point out of the earth by the Lamb. Uh, and again, it might be a special rapture just for them. Whatever the case is, they've completed their ministry and precisely how they've departed and they're with the Lord, the Bible doesn't tell us. Verse number four, look at the moral and spiritual character of the 144,000 Jewish converts. It says, these are they which were not defiled uh, with women. And the idea is they haven't been morally impure. They're, they're moral, morally pure. For they are virgins. They haven't been involved in fornication. They haven't been involved in, in adultery. They're young men who have never married. They're virgins. The simple point is that the 144,000 will be morally pure young men. These are they, it says in verse 4, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Now, notice the characteristics of these men. They're morally pure. Um, they're obedient and they're available. Now, now there's, there's some things in Revelation in our study that we read about and we're like, wow, that's awesome, but I'm not going to be here for that. Or, wow, that's incredible, or that's scary. I'm so glad I'm not going to be here for that. And sometimes it may be a little bit hard to make some application to our lives, but I want you to know in these verses right here, there's some application to be made. Uh, young people, be morally pure. Uh, do what's right. Honor what God has blessed you with in your physical body because the Spirit of God dwells there and He teaches you from there and He leads you and He convicts you. Honor Him. Uh, they're morally pure, but, but also they follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. And again, the idea is that they're obedient and available. It'd be possible, I suppose, to be obedient when you're there but when you're not available, you know, you can't be there to be obedient. You know what I'm saying? It's another thing for you and I to be obedient and available. Or I should put it in the opposite. 
to be available and obedient. Here am I, send me, Lord. God, what is it that you want me to do? God, what is the, where is it that you want me to go? God, what is it that you want me to speak? God, I'm available for you to use me. And then, God, as you open the doors, I'm going to be obedient to you. The, it really is, it strikes me that they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And it reminds me of the original disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who followed him. Although I think these guys might uh, have outdone them just a little bit by their obedience and their availability. The 144,000 perhaps uh, will, will serve God during the millennium. I'm sure they're going to serve him, but, but they're already with him at this point in the tribulation period. And John again records, notice, these were redeemed from among men. He, he notes, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And so the reference there is to the 144,000 Jewish men being the first fruits. And it may, it, I think it, it uh, leads us to believe that these 144,000 were the beginning of the conversion of Israel to Christ. And we've read about that. We've studied that. Don't forget that. During the tribulation period, one of the main purposes of the tribulation period is that is for God Almighty to turn Israel back to himself. And he uses the two witnesses. You remember? Uh, he uses the two witnesses that go about preaching and fire can come out of their mouth. And there's all kind. they have great power of God and, and people are believing and then they die. Well, 144,000 men uh, pick up the calling and they're going about preaching and teaching and people are being saved all over the earth. And many of the Jewish people are being saved. And so really they're the first fruits. Notice in verse number five. Verse number five, because there's more of their characters noted here. It says, and, and in their mouth was found no guile. I mean, the word is deceit. Uh, for they are without fault. And the idea is blameless before the throne of God. These young men are honest. They tell the truth. And they're blameless. They don't live lives that they have to be ashamed of. Young men, there's some young men in this room. Tell the truth. Be a young man who tells the truth. Uh, sometimes we're tempted to lie because we can get out of trouble, we think, if we lie. Don't do that. Be a young person who tells the truth. You know what? When mom's looking at you and saying, did you do it? Take a big breath, look her in the eyes, and tell her the truth. Be a young lady who tells the truth. Don't be a liar. A lying, of course, is a, is a sin. It's wrong. It, it, God hates lying. These men, are they tell the truth and they're blameless before the throne of God. Notice verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now, this is amazing to me. Israel was the vessel that God had chosen and used in the Old Testament to bring glory to his name. You remember Rahab, who received Jesus, received Jesus Christ by faith? She believed upon Jehovah God, believed upon the Messiah, by the testimony of Israel. She had heard of them. She had heard about how, how powerful their God was. And God's plan for Israel was that the world and all the nations of the world would know God through them. But they forsook God. And they followed after idols, the idols of the very people who didn't know God. 
and they intermarried, and, and, and their children were lost, and worldliness crept in. Um, and God's plan shifted to the church. He still has a place for Israel, but his plan shifted to the church. And it's through the church that God wants us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And that's what we do. That's what we're engaged in. Everything we do here at Trinity Baptist Church is for the purpose of the salvation of God. And by that I mean, it's, and that incorporates giving out the gospel, that incorporates growing in the word of God, obeying his commands, walking through this life by the wisdom of the spirit of God, and someday our salvation being complete. When this flesh is put off and we re- receive a new body, everything we do here is for that purpose. Well, in the tribulation period, the church is gone. And so he has his two witnesses and then 144,000, but now they're gone. And now he sends an angel. And, and cannot, can you see, can you see the mercy and the love and the grace of God in what, what I just described for you? Do you believe or do you not believe that God is absolutely committed to the salvation of the souls of men? And as I read and ponder this, I'm just overwhelmed. Even today, I kind of sat back from my desk and I thought, Lord, I don't know that we're committed enough. God, you are absolutely committed. You are determined. Your heart is overflowing with love and compassion and grace and mercy for the souls of men. He wants people to be saved. And so in this verse, we read about an angel. God sends an angel. So that the whole world can have another chance to be saved. In the midst of heaven, I don't know if they're going to be able to see him or not. They're going to be able to hear him. And he's going to have the everlasting gospel. See it there in verse 6. And to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. You know... There's only one blood. There's only one race, and that's the human race. There are different groups of people. People do things different ways. But God so loved the world that he sent his only, son, only begotten son to die for the sins of the, the whole world. On two other occasions thus far, John refers to seeing another angel back in chapter 7 and chapter 8. It uh, refers back to the 144,000 being sealed to accomplish God's plan, to do God's will, to preach the gospel. The, uh, the, the, the angel of God then that, uh, that John saw back in chapter 8 pertained to the introduction of the trumpet judgments. You remember he announced them. And John will record the same four more times in this chapter Uh, But we don't know anything more about these angels. In in this case, John indicates seeing this angel fly in the midst of heaven. And the purpose for this angel is to evangelize all those who are dwelling upon the earth. It will include every nationality. uh, 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 You remember, again, as I mentioned, through the church age, it was our responsibility to give the gospel, to proclaim, and to testify And then it's the two witnesses, and then it's the 144,000 preachers. And in the final stages of the tribulation, 
in spite of the massive delusion that's going to be upon mankind at that time, uh, God is still dedicated to those who are lost being saved. So God sends an angel flying through the heavens because people are scattered all over the world to proclaim the everlasting gospel to them. And again, I can't help but notice the mercy and grace of our God is great. And as the end of the tribulation period, and that's what he's referring to here, as the end of the tribulation period is drawing nigh, God Almighty is going to send his messenger, a heavenly messenger, to fly around the world and to preach repentance in the gospel. Notice what he says. Notice his message in verse 7. He's saying with a loud voice, Fear God. What's the message of this angel? And I love this too because angels... Uh, These angels do what God tells them to do. They deliver God's message. And so we could take something from this. Uh, What should we communicate? But he's saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. You know, there's coming a day when the judgment of God is going to arrive. It's not here yet. There are consequences for sin today. He that soweth to his flesh of the flesh reap corruption. There are certainly consequences for sin, but we're not at the point of the judgment of God upon the earth. Uh, but, but that judgment is coming, and, the, and in the midst of the great tribulation, uh, the world is going to be in the, in the middle of this great tribulation. It's, uh, it's closing in on this final conclusion, and, uh, and so he's preaching the judgment is, the hour of his judgment has come. And then he says this, and worship him. That made heaven and earth. He he preaches about the creator and how they're supposed to worship him. Uh, And the fountains of the sea, or the fountains of the waters. You know, the world is commanded to worship God and to acknowledge him as their creator. They must reject the lie of evolution. And there's this call call to repentance. Fear God. Glorify God. Which is the idea of honor God. Give weight to what he says. Don't do what you feel. And you know, I'd imagine at this point in human history, many people are going to be dominated by fear. I mean, if I want food for my family, I've got to take the mark of the beast, is what many people are going to be saying. And the false prophet, the, the, the second beast that we read about in chapter 13, the false prophet who's commanding everybody to worship the Antichrist, it's going to be illegal to worship Christ. It's going to be illegal to believe in him. It's going to be against the law. Meanwhile, you have this angel of God flying around saying this. And I don't think it's going to be secretive. I think it's going to be right out there. And people are going to have a choice. They're going to have to reject the the lie of evolution. They're going to have to fear God and glorify Him. They're going to have to fear God more than they fear men. They're going to have to honor God and give weight to his word. They're going to have to worship God. They're going to have to acknowledge that God is the creator. And in the last days of the tribulation, God sends an angel to circle the earth and the skies above, preaching salvation through Christ alone for all who believe, for all who hear. No man in that day is going to be able to say he didn't hear. God's going to give an opportunity to all of them to repent. Notice in verse number 8, because in verses 8 through 11, we, we see just a glimpse into the judgment that's going to fall upon the earth. Uh, we'll see the judgment of God in greater details in chapter 17 and 18. But notice in verse 8, it says this, And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, 
that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, the first mention of Babylon in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 10 and chapter 11. It was founded by a man named Nimrod, and the, the city Babylon grew into a Gentile world power that oppressed the nations. And it was characterized by pride and by rebellion. Jeremiah 50 and verse 38 says this, A drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up. For it is the land, speaking of Babylon, it is the land of graven images. And they are mad upon their idols. Again in Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 7, the Bible says uh, that, uh, that Babylon made all the earth drunken that the nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. In other words, Babylon's a, a leader in the world. And then it goes on to say, Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Howl for her, take a balm for her pain, if so she may be healed. And then in verse 9, Jeremiah writes, We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let, it, and let us go everyone into his own country. Why? For her judgment reacheth unto heaven and is lifted up even to the skies. Isaiah, the prophet, writes of Babylon in verse 9 of chapter 21, and he says, And behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the graven images of her gods he hath broken unto the ground. So what is Babylon? What does it represent? Because there is such a place as Babylon. Um, over the Middle East, they're actually excavating and, and archaeological digs around the, the old city Babylon. Well, Babylon represents a world, worldwide religion, okay? Um, and, and it's not after God. It's a man's religion. It, it is idolatry, and it always has been. It, it typo, it's typified by pride and by rebellion, of, uh, really, of the world against God, going all the way back uh, to the flood. And the repetition it, where it says, is fallen, is fallen, communicates, as the angel says this, it communicates the certainty of her fall. It communicates the finality of her fall. In chapters 17 and 18, it'll describe a religious Babylon, a political Babylon, a commercial and cultural Babylon. And again, we'll look at that later. But the point here is the announcement of the announcement is that the world system is over. The world system is over. Babylon has fallen, has fallen. It is over. In many ways, Babylon is the opposite of the city of God. And the angel notes that this wicked city has made all nations, notice there, made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The world system from the beginning has promoted both physical and spiritual immorality. All nations, though, have willingly drunk of that intoxicating wine, and they will be subject to, the, to God's wrath against them. Notice in verse 9, it says this, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead... Uh, or in his hand. Uh, so now we're getting into some details here of the judgment of God against the people here. And it's really consistent with the mercy and grace of God that's already been evidenced in the first angel's proclamation of the gospel. He's warned them upon the earth. Don't forget that. God sent his messenger. He's warned the earth. They know the truth. But for those people during the tribulation who take the mark of the beast in their forehead or in their hand, 
there are two actions that will not be forgiven. One, that worshiping the beast and his image will not be forgiven. And two, receiving his mark in the forehead or hand will not be forgiven. Notice verse number 10. What's going to happen to those people who cooperate with the Antichrist and the false prophets program? Verse 10. Look there, it says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. So they're going to experience the wrath of God. uh, And it's going to be undiluted. God's not going to hold back his wrath here. Now, by the way, God has held back his wrath for ages. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, for thousands of years, God has held back his wrath. And and as we read about these things, these things turn my stomach. And don't forget, it turned John's stomach too. You remember, he took the book, he ate of it, it was sweet to his lips, like honey, but it made him sick when he thought about the people who were going to die. So they're going, to, they're going to drink of this wrath. Two, it says there in verse number 10, and he shall be tormented. What's going to happen to these people who take the, the, they worship the Antichrist and take his mark and don't trust God but trust the Antichrist? What's going to happen to them? Well, they're going to be judged at the beginning of verse 10, but then the, the latter part of verse 10 it says, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. In the presence of the Lamb. And so they're going to be judged by the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And they're going to know that Jesus Christ is the righteous judge of all the earth. Notice verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Uh, Again, those who cooperate with the Antichrist and follow him and worship him are going to suffer great torment at the beginning of verse 11, then the end of verse 11, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. In other words, for those who ignore God's message of redemption and join themselves, those who choose to join themselves to the Antichrist, there will be no rest for them for all of eternity. They will be utterly and hopelessly lost forever and ever. It really is. We're going to stop there here this evening at the end of verse number 11. But it really is something to think about as we ponder these things. You know, if you're a child of God, you're not going to be there, I don't believe, at any part during the tribulation period until we come back with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, to war against the nations of the earth who have rebelled against God. But you have no fear of the tribulation period. But I would ask you, are you here tonight and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Are you one of these people who who you've heard the gospel, you've heard about Jesus, the Son of God, God in human flesh, who died in our place, died to take your sins upon himself, was buried, rose again the third day. What have you done with that message? And for us who are saved, what are we doing with the message What are we doing with the truth that we know and that we have? I I want to encourage you here this evening. Just this last month in August, we've gone out on Wednesday nights and we've passed out gospel tracts and we've stayed back and we've prayed for those who are going out. And uh, You know me well enough to know I don't believe you have to go out for one hour every week knocking on doors, uh, cold calling, to accomplish the Great Commission. 
However, you and I know people who are lost. And it may be a neighbor, maybe a relative, it's a coworker. Maybe it is going and knocking on some doors. Maybe it is taking a gospel track and leaving it with a waitress uh, and saying, great, thank you for the great service. Here's something I'd like you to read. You know, you need to follow. I need to follow the leading of the Spirit of God in our lives. But there is a world that we're surrounded with now that is dying and going to hell. And just like God used the 144,000, or will someday use the 144,000, and the two, and the angel, God wants to use you and me to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as I read about this, these people, I'm reminded of, why, why God, why is your wrath so hot? I mean, God, you're a God of love, and you're a God of mercy, and you're a God of grace. But God has given time after time after time after time. He gave his only begotten son to die for their sins. The price has already paid, been paid, and God will not overlook sin forever. And uh, if you're here tonight and you're a child of God and you're living in sin, why? Why do that? Don't sow to the flesh. Confess it, forsake it, and follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.